Jesus, as he was talking to his disciples, told his disciples to look up, to lift up their heads and wait and see the redemption that was near to them. And I believe with all of my heart, God is working things out according to his purpose, according to his plan, to his glory, and ultimately to our benefit. And so we will keep that in our hearts and minds. We need to always remember that God is never unaltered by our storms. We may be confined to our homes, but God isn't. We may be facing shortages, but God doesn't. Our resources may be running, may be a little bit thin at times, but God's never will. The Apostle Paul said it very, very well, sitting in a prison cell when he wrote one of the most positive letters in the scriptures, the book of Philippians. He says, the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. Now, I said God's not altered by our storms. But that does not mean that God is unmoved by our struggles and by our pain and by our storms. A bird falls to the ground, God knows about it. The grass of the field are adorned by his glory and by his power. It sprouts for a brief period of time and then it withers away and dies. But it's done so underneath the watchful, concerned eye of God. Some of the most precious passages in the Bible confirm that you and I need to take heart in our God, that God is always for us. Listen to these words from the scriptures. I have seen the affliction of my people. I have given heed to their cry. I am aware of their sufferings. Secondly, notice if you would, Psalms 9, verse 12. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. In the book of Psalms 56, the psalmist said, You have seen me tossing and turning through the night. And maybe you have been one of those who have been doing exactly that. You have collected my tears and preserved them in your bottle. You have recorded every one in your book. God cares. God's concerned about us, and we need to always remember that. One of my most precious passages that I've come across recently is Psalms 138, verse 7 and verse 8, which says this, Though I am surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. And right now we have an angry enemy that seeks to do us in. It's called the coronavirus. You reach out your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me. For you have made me. Last week, we heard David ask the question, when all that is good falls apart, what can good people do? 
And the answer that David gave to us was more of a declaration than it was an answer. And I want you to be encouraged that God is still present, that God is still enthroned. And I want to encourage you to do all that you can. I asked, David asked the question, when all that falls apart, what can good men do? I tell you what we can do. We can't do anything about the coronavirus. We are not skilled enough to try to determine the virus or to bring about an answer to it. I'm glad we have those that are smart, those that are in the medical field, those that are in the science field that are working on that 24-7. But what we can do is we can respond to it by staying connected with one another through texts, through Facebook, emails, cards, letters, phone calls. These are things that we can do to seek to be connected, to still minister, especially to those who are at high risk. Use the streaming service that we are providing to make connections. View the online classes that we've got going with Tyler and with Candace. Don't forget to assemble with us on the first day of the week with our live stream service. Check in on people. If you are going to the store because you need have some items that you have to get, call somebody that you know that shouldn't be out, particularly those that are elderly. I went to Walmart last week. They provide an opportunity for those that are elderly to go in earlier before others get there. And I was a little bit discouraged because I wasn't carded when I got there. It was horrible. I guess I do look as old as I am. But if you go to the store, if you're going to go to Walmart or Lowe's here locally or wherever you're going to go, think about somebody else that you might call that might have some needs so they don't have to get out and risk themselves getting this virus. You may be asking questions in regards to what's going on in our country and around the world with this virus. If you're a little bit negative, you might be asking the question this way, what in the world is God doing? On the other hand, if you're a little bit more positive, more optimistic, which I believe Christians should be, Maybe what we should be asking is, what is God doing in the world? We just always need to remember that God has got a positive message for us. And though we have questions, though we ask why, we want to know when this is going to end, where we can get back to quote-unquote normal activities. We need to always remember the message that God sent to his own people thousands of years ago that can still be applied today. It comes from the book of Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 and verse 9. Here's God's message to the people then and here's God's message to his people today. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God lives by a different type of dimension, a set of different rules. He occupies a different realm. And though he lives among us, though he is present, he's also transcendent among above us. We are not even in his zip code when it comes to doing things the way that he does them. His ways, the ways that he does, the ways that he operates are completely different than the way we operate. His thoughts and the reason behind doing what he does are completely beyond the way that we would do things and think of things. We think about preserving the body, saving the body. God thinks about saving the soul. We think about a pay raise, and God thinks about raising the dead. We think of things to avoid pain and suffering so that we might find peace. God uses pain and suffering to help us and remind us that we need to depend upon Him completely, that He is our strength, that He is our peace. People cry out, let's, let's live before we die. And God says, if you want to live, truly live, you have to die. We love things that rust, that wear out, that will be destroyed. God loves those things that endures. We rejoice at success. God rejoices at our confessions. We show our kids an emblem on a shoe or tag on a piece of clothing. And we say, be like them. Be like Mike. And God says, I want you to look to a cross. I want you to be like Jesus. I don't think like God thinks. We want to raise people to be like us and God wants us to raise people to be like Him, to be like His Son. I don't do things like God does them a lot of times. I don't think like He does. Sometimes I try to bring God to my level of thinking that God ought to be thinking the way that I'm thinking when we should be raising our thinking to the way God thinks. God seeks to raise up a people of his own possession. I wouldn't have done it the way he did it. Calling the man out of a pagan country, the Ur of Chaldees, to become the father of the faithful? That's not the way I would have done things. I sure wouldn't have led his wife to be barren for 25 years when they leave the Urichalides, when both of their bodies are dead and they cannot bring forth that firstborn child that had been promised to them. That's not the way I would have operated. That's not the way I would have done things. And boy, I surely, once that child was born and blessed to that couple, that elderly couple, I sure wouldn't have asked him to sacrifice him, sacrifice him on the mountains of Moriah. That's not the way I think. His ways, his thoughts are far beyond mine. 
But when you think like God thinks, when you operate the God the way God does, then you find yourself becoming known as the father of the faithful. Children of Israel wanted a king. Samuel is sad. God says, don't worry about that. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. But because his heart wasn't truly after God's, the kingdom would be torn away from him. And Samuel is told, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. For I'm going to anoint myself the next king of Israel. And we know the story. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. The first person that he sees, Eliab, is tall in height. He must be six foot four, dark haired, and it's got a six pack on his stomach. He is the personification of what Samuel sees and deems to be a great king of Israel. God says no. He does that with six more boys in Jesse's family. None of them pass muster as far as God is concerned. Samuel then asked Jesse, do you have any more boys around? Samuel gets the answer from Jesse. Yeah, got one more boy. <laughs> A runt. Out taking care and tending the sheep. Go get him. He's the one that's going to be selected. Why? Because the Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, that God does not look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. And David would become a king, a servant of God, a man after God's own heart. God's thoughts are greater than mine. God's ways are far beyond mine. I am not even in the same zip code. What is God doing in the world at this present moment? You want to save a world from sin? Go ahead and give up your firstborn child to do that, to become the sacrifice, because that is what God did. He gave up his firstborn son. Let him become flesh and blood. Let him walk upon this earth. Be born in poverty, live in poverty, and die in poverty. Is that the way that you would have been making your plans to raise up the next king of the universe? God in the flesh? That's not the way I would have done it. But God's ways are far beyond mine. His thoughts are far beyond mine. What we always need to remember that in difficult times and in good times, God is for us. That's what Paul declared in the book of Romans chapter 8 in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? I can tell you who can be against you. A disease can be against you. Two people have already have been diagnosed with COVID-19 in Borger, one in Pampa. It's getting closer and closer to the, those of us in the Sanford Fritch area. We may or may not be affected, but we are affected by it. We may not be infected, but we are affected by this disease. 
And if that's not enough, inflation can be against you. Corruption can be against you. Exhaustion, calamities, fears, shortages. These are all things that can be against us. But you and me and God make a majority. With God, all things are possible. Paul said, if God is for us, it can be translated since God is for us, who can be against us? No matter what you've experienced so far, no matter what you are experiencing and will experience, I want to let you know this morning that God is always faithful. That God is still waiting to listen to your prayers, to meet your needs, and to help at every turn. He still seeks to cheer you on. He applauds you in your steps, still following Him. He's shouting your name at the top of His lungs, and He's waiting to lift you when you feel faint, when your knees kind of shake or buckle. He's there. We must understand that God will never forget about you. God never forgets about us. In Isaiah chapter 49, verses 15 and verse 16, the prophet Isaiah, by the inspiration of God, says this, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? I mean, that's, that's just impossible to think that a mother would ever do that with their child. And he says, but even if that were possible, our God, our Father, would not forget us. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. That's how much God is for us. That's how much God loves us. I like the way another person put it. If God had a calendar, <laughs> your birthday would be circled on it. If God drove a car, your name would be on the bumper sticker. And if there were trees in heaven, God would have carved your name in the tree. God never forgets about us. Why? Because God is for us. You say, well, Richard, how, how can I be sure that God is for us? Paul answers that question. In the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, in which he says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? I read a story of a fellow who came across a group of thugs that were beating a little boy. He rushed in, pushed them aside, and rescued the boy who had been beaten and battered. 
He took the boy to the hospital to have his wounds taken care of, and they put him in the hospital for a few days so that he could be nursed back to health. Every day, that guy was up at that hospital looking after that boy, making sure that he was being taken care of. After he left the hospital, the fellow that rescued the boy paid the bill. He thought so much of the boy and found out that the boy was an orphan child, that he adopted him. Went through the court system to have the boy be given his name. Several months later, that new father of that boy, that child, hears the boy crying on his pillow. He goes and he asks the young man, what's wrong? And the boy says, Daddy, I'm worried. He says, well, what you worried about? He says, I'm worried about tomorrow. He said, tomorrow? Yeah. He said, I'm worried about tomorrow. I'm worried about if I'm going to have any food to eat. I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to have a, another change of clothes. I want to know where I'm going to sleep. And the father is naturally troubled by the trouble of his child. And he says, haven't I shown you? I risked my life to save you. I gave money so that your wounds could be treated and that you could be healed. You wear my name. And I call you my son. Would I do all that and not meet your need? Would God save us? Create this world for us. Lift us up just to watch us fret, to worry. Would God pick us up when we fall? Would he seek to keep us from stumbling? The answer to that question is yeah. Because as Paul said, God is for us. How do I know that? What reassurance do I have? And Paul says, look at what God gave up for you. Jesus was nailed to a cross. Do you think for one moment that God would disregard your needs? That God would not listen to your prayers? The psalmist said it very well. He has put his angels in charge of you to watch over you wherever you go. Paul asked another question in Romans chapter 8 verse 35. Can anything separate us from the love of God? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? That's the question he asks 
What's the answer? I'm here to tell you that God's love endures. It does not change. It doesn't have to be earned. And it lasts forever. You know the story of the prodigal son. A boy who wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. And when he got what he got, when he got it, later on he found out he really didn't want what he got. I'm not going to repeat that. That's too tough. But that boy left his father. He left the father's home. He left the father's protection and security. And some would think that he left the father's love. But that's not true. That boy came back. Not to a changed father. But he had changed. He had finally come to his senses. And when he came back home, he came back to the same protection, the same comfort, the same blessings that he had when he left. But more importantly, he came back to the same God, the same Father that loved him when he did. That's the God that we serve. You want to know what Paul's answer is? Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through verse 39 says, Jesus might ask the question, not Jesus, but you and I might ask the question, can anything come between me and my Lord? And Paul says, and I am convicted that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life Angels nor demons, neither fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I hope and pray that you can say one word with me this morning. Amen. Because God truly is for us today. And given a tomorrow, he'll be with us tomorrow. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, thank you so much from your, for your encouraging words. We pray, Father, that you might open up our hearts and our minds to these positive passages in your scriptures that gives us all kind of hope in believing. Not the type of hope that the world has, which is basically just wishful thinking, but the hope that we find because our hope and our faith is found in Jesus. Thank you so much for your care and concern for us each and every day. How you display that care and concern for us by virtue of the fact that you allow the sun to rise and to set, that you've given us another day to live, to bring you glory and honor. And even though things may be tough for us, inconvenience for us, Father, we know that you still love us, you still care, and you will ultimately bring this to an end in your time, according to your plan. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.